Hi, I'm Kent from Denver. Hi, I'm Natalie from Boston, Massachusetts. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like me. If you'd like to donate to support the show, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, W. Kamau Bell, has been a friend of the show for many years. He got his start in San Francisco when The Sound of Young America was getting its start in Santa Cruz. He's found his voice recently as a social and political critic. Here's some comedy from his new CD, Faithful of Flower. I mean, a little bit, I have to admit. It's a little piece of me that's a little sad that McCain and Palin didn't win. It's a little bit. It's a little bit. Anybody else? No. Come on. You weren't excited to move to Canada? Nobody? It was... My friend Jeremy went up and looked around. He got me all excited. I was like, yeah. If they win, I'm out of here. I was all like thinking about Vancouver. It just seems nice. Then Barack won. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I was like 95% excited. Like, oh, 5%. Oh, Vancouver sounded nice. Because wouldn't that have been awesome if all the liberals and progressives in America had made a silent agreement to move to Canada the day after the election? We just had like a liberal rapture up to Canada. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wouldn't that have been awesome the next day? Conservatives were walking around the major cities going, Hello? Hello? Where did everybody go? I don't know how to make a latte. I liked it with whip. What is whip? I don't know what whip is. That's not what happened. <laughs> Brock Barrichs, that was what happened. Come out! Welcome back to the Sound of Young America. It's it's great to have you here. I'm I'm happy to be back. I'm glad that I was allowed back on. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanna I wanna ask you I wanna ask you about San Francisco. Um, uh, you're at a point in your career where um, you have almost certainly had to make the decision: uh, Am I sticking with San Francisco or am I not? Comedians who uh, are in uh, a, a you know secondary market like San Francisco or Austin or or even to some extent Chicago mm-hmm. um, get to a point in their career where, career where they have to decide whether they're going to stay there mm-hmm. and put down roots or whether they're going to head to Los Angeles or New York where there are more quote unquote industry opportunities. Yes. Um, have you decided that you're staying in San Francisco for real? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I certainly could have left many times and had st- probably started thinking about leaving probably five or six years ago, you know, because uh, a lot of comics leave, you know, it seems like comics leave quicker and quicker all the time. But at some point, like, I decided that I wasn't ready where I was in my act yet, where I felt like I wasn't ready to go sell it as a commercial. And then at some point, I just, I got caught up doing, I started to do the show. And it very, became very clear to me that, like, if I stay here and do the show, I can have more of an impact on my career than if I go to LA and do seven minutes of stand up at the clubs down there, you know? So it was very much a conscious decision three years ago to say, I'm going to stay in San Francisco. Am I there forever? I don't think so. Luckily we get planes and Greyhound buses (laughs) leave every day. So, I mean, I'm here in LA right now. So I feel like with the way the world works now, you can sort of go wherever you want to go. And San Francisco is not that far from LA. You know, if I will certainly move if need be. There, there are all these great comedians from San Francisco since, since, um, uh, you know, since the days of the the Hungry Eye in the 1960s, mm-hmm. uh, through 
you know, uh, many of today's greatest alternative comics who live here in Los Angeles or, or in New York or started off in San Francisco. Folks like um, uh, Margaret Cho and, and uh, Patton Oswalt and Brian Posehn and, and Mark Marin and, and all these other folks. Um, what attracted you uh, to San Francisco initially? Well, I had been in Chicago for a little while, and I was sort of doing stand-up comedy mostly. It's, I guess it was a hobby. When I was in Chicago, there weren't really there wasn't really a scene at that point. There's a much bigger scene now. Uh, There's only one club. It was Zanies, and they had the twelve comics they needed, so there was no need, there was no way to break in. Chicago uh, has always has always had a reputation as a, a place where the comedy world is dominated by the second city, and yes. so it's sort of the place where you go to learn to do sketch and improv. And I did Second City's conservatory program. I got the red T-shirt that says I completed the program. So <laughs> I did. I got everything I could out of Second City, and then I decided I want to really pursue stand up. And it was really for some reason I decided it was between. New York and in uh, in San Francisco because I'd had friends who'd moved to L.A. and come back a year later looking like they'd gotten back from the war. <laughs> so I was like, I'm like, I don't think I want to go there. So I just and I'd heard about San Francisco scene and had been told a lot about how that was one of the up and coming scenes. I don't even know where comics get this from, but I'd heard that. And so I visited New York and it just felt too big too soon. And I came to San Francisco. I got somehow like just through a series of events. I met Gene Pompa. He got me a guess at the punchline. I did a guess at the punchline on like a Friday night, which never happens. I don't know how or why. And I was like, huh. I got up at the number two club in, or number one club in town. I don't want to create enemies. <laughs> I got up at the, they're both equal. I got up at the club in town, like with, uh, you know, with not that much effort. I guess I'll just come here and be famous. And so I moved like six months later and have still been working on that fame plan ever since. What were your first impressions of San Francisco? Uh, that it was, it was much smaller than Chicago. So it's just, it's just manageable. Like Chicago has all the same stuff that San Francisco has, but San Francisco is in a much more confined space. Like it's only seven by seven. So, you know, it just felt like, it felt like everybody was there and everybody had to stumble across each other, which is what I liked about it. Because in Chicago, you can, you can choose not to stumble across others. If you don't want to, so Chicago has a uh, Chicago has a reputation for having a culture built upon uh, avoiding stumbling exactly, across others. Exactly, yeah. We build our whole neighborhoods built upon you don't have to leave. You know, I, I read in I read in an interview uh, an an older interview with you that one of your first big jokes that really worked in Chicago was <laughs> "Don't worry, I'm not moving in." Yes, that was a that was a very that's a very seminal moment in my career. <laughs> like I was like, I don't think I want to play shows where that's the big open joke you know that was the that was early in my career to comedy club that i won't i don't know if it exists but i'm not going to mention it anyway uh yeah no chicago is super segregated it's super you know it's just and not that you can move around but there's there's also that feeling in chicago where you can go into places where they go your kind's not allowed here and you just be like oh thank you thanks for letting me know i'll, I'll leave now it's just much easier whereas i don't i think racism of that kind the racism exists all over but chicago it's still very institutionalized <laughs> like it's it's old school it's old school. <laughs> San Francisco has its own strange relationship with race. I mean, I'm I'm a native San Franciscan, mm-hmm. very proud to be a native San Franciscan. But I remember, um, I remember I, when I was in high school, I worked briefly in the administration of uh, uh, Mayor Willie Brown uh, as a volunteer intern, and I remember just stuff going on all the time uh, where uh, super lefty people were doing stuff, and I would be like. Uh, that feels pretty racist to me. <laughs> that, feels, that feels a little bit racist. <laughs> that seems incorrect. Uh, well, I think the thing problem the the thing of San Francisco is that people think they're like good by nature of their zip code. You know, <laughs> I, think, I think the Bay Area has a thing. Well, I live here, 
So clearly I can't be a racist or a sexist or a homophobe. I live near them. And uh, so, which I think comes into a lot, especially like the the show that I do, the one man show about ending racism in about an hour. A lot of the frustration of that show comes from living in the Bay Area and feeling like I see racism a lot and having people around me go, no, I don't, I don't, I think you're just being sensitive. So, and that's where the, sh- I don't think the show would have come out the same way in Chicago. I think in Chicago, I would be like, I see a lot of racism. People are like, yeah, you do. <laughs> now leave. Uh, so, whereas in San Francisco, it's, it's way more uh, insidious, you know. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the stand-up comedian W. Kamau Bell. Let's hear some comedy from his new CD, Faceful of Flower. That's a problem, man. It's just we are living in some super, especially racist time. That's why I think Brock's having such a hard time right now, because people are just ready to turn on him. Because I think Brock's big problem is that he's a great guy. He knows what he's doing. He's in there working hard, but he's just too smooth. Nobody wants to see the first black president be under control. <laughs> You know, I mean, I get, and I get, maybe Brock is smooth. That's just how he is. He can handle it. Maybe he's like LeBron James and the transition to the pros ain't that hard. But, uh, you know, you got to be more like Patrick Ewing on the New York Knicks, Brock. Anybody remember Patrick Ewing from the New York Knicks? Remember that dude? That dude used to sweat so much during the game, he had to change jerseys at halftime. Brock, sweat through your jersey sometimes. You know, shoot. You know, it's like, he's got to be like, or like Savion Glover. Remember the tap dancer Savion Glover, black dude with the dreadlocks? I know this is two black references in a row, but we'll... <laughs> Savion Glover, we used to think tap dancing sucked in society. It was just white guys and tuxedos. They, all this was hard, but they were just smiling. But then Savion Glover came through with angry dreadlock. We're like, we love tap dancing now. This is exciting. He made it look hard. Come on, bro. Get a look on your face, you know. Say what you will about George W. Bush, but it looked like it was hard to be president when he was in office. You know what I'm saying? Three-syllable word coming up. <laughs> Miss Underedge McKate. Got it. All right. There's this big world of African-American comedy um, that is sort of very grounded in the sort of uh, uh, deaf comedy jam idea of what black comedy is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then there's a, a sort of a, another world of black comedy that is maybe inspired by, um, say, Bill Cosby where part of the premise is that this transcends race, that it's not about race, it's about human experience, and we're all, we've all been, you know, we've all seen how mm-hmm. children say yeah, the darndest yeah, yes, things. Yes, yes, um, We're all the same color on the inside. And it, I, imagine that, I, I imagine that it can, that it must be tough to uh, find a third path um, that, is, uh, that is very much conscious of race and identity, um, but isn't about you know, uh, you know, quarter waters and uh, <laughs> you know, growing up in the hood or whatever. Well, no, it's funny. Like I felt like there was always like the there's like the Def Jam school, and then there's the I'm one of the good ones school, which, is the, <laughs> which, which I think is sort of Bill Cosby wasn't doing it like that, but it's sort of come filtered down to where I feel like a lot of black comics are like I'm not like the rest, you know. Which to me is like I never wanted to be the Def Jam school isn't natural to me. I never wanted to appear to be the other thing at all. And, I, you know, that was – I think that's something I struggle – I feel like I'm more likely to be in that school. And I'm like, no, I don't I'm, – I'm, I'm one of the fine ones. I'm not one of the good ones, you know. Uh, so it, that was, I think, a hard part is trying to find – like you said, find that place, which is ironic because it's not that long ago that the two biggest comics in the country were Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle, who I feel like were that third thing. And I felt like, oh, wow, with these two guys, like – 
there'll be some sort of trickle down theory. Well, I will be able to, and it never trickled down. <laughs> just like Reagan's trickle down economics, it never trickled. I, I just assumed that that would open up doors for a lot more comics like me. And there are other comics like not, not exactly like me, but black comics who sort of speak to a different history than others. And, and we're all sort of like, how do we get through? You know? So it's like, it's like Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock were the special ones, you know? You actually, I, I, I remember that when immediately after Dave Chappelle had his, um, uh, a momentous uh, meltdown slash opt out yes. <laughs> um, situation. Depending uh, on your perspective, yeah, he he took a little break and he came back to do these sort of semi secret shows, mm-hmm. and he was performing at the Punchline in San mm-hmm. Francisco. I think you it, you did some shows with him. Yeah, I did. There. I've done a yeah. That was the beginning of me doing a lot of shows with him. I've done a lot of shows with him now, and uh, yeah, but that was like the first time that I ever got to really talk to him, and yeah, that was great. I mean. I feel bad that those shows that he did weren't recorded and like, cause I think that was some of the best stand up I've ever seen anyone do. Like his, when he came back from Africa and he was still mad at Comedy Central and <laughs> like, but he felt like he had learned something and he wanted to teach it to. I mean, it was like some of the, it was really, it, that was actually transcendent stand up and uh, the general public will never see it or never know about it. Wasn't he at that point doing like three, four hour sets? Oh, he's still doing three and four hour sets. He was just actually <laughs> up in the Bay Area. He may still be there. He just was, did a bunch of shows in February and March in the Bay Area. And he was at uh in in Oakland, and he was doing you know sets till five in the morning, because as he says clearly, he, the only place he wants to be is on stage, and uh you know so just stay on stage. It, it was when that happened. Um, uh, it, it was kind of I I I I experienced it as almost like scary, um, <laughs> because it you know he, here was this guy who I thought was um. You know, certainly one of the top five stand-up comedians in the world. Yes, just an absolutely brilliant stand-up comedian, and uh, doing a uh, doing a show that um, uh, a a very good show with some moments that reflected the fact that this was one of the most brilliant comic minds in the world. Yes, Um, and it was a show that was really connecting with people, completely to my surprise, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and. Then just everything went crazy. <laughs> yeah, 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 every, yeah, everything. It's funny. I I'm sort of starting to realize. I think it's hard to be the to be to have the mantle of best black comedian in the country because uh, or best <laughs> or best comedian in the country when you're black. I'll say because like even Cat Williams has sort of disappeared. Like I don't know. There's something about that spot. You know, certainly Richard Pryor had his struggles with it. I feel like that's why Chris doesn't stay around that long. A, a friend of mine was Cat Williams DJ, so I can definitely I can understand. <laughs> like he was like, oh god, what's going wrong? Something horrible is happening here. There's, I thought I had the greatest job yes, in the world, yes. the DJ for a comedian. <laughs> yeah, that's gotta be the greatest job of all time. You play for 15 minutes before and after the show. It, it's it speaks it, it speaks in part to the sort of burden of expectation of uh you know when you're a comedian and part of your job is sort of explaining the world and then you add on to that that you're that you're black and thus uh and if you're not performing for a specifically black audience Mm -hmm. then you sort of have to shoulder this other burden of like oh god i have to explain blackness to white people and be funny. <laughs> yeah, and some of those people are probably your agents and managers. And, you, know, <laughs> uh, you know, I think that it's certainly, like, 
you know, when the biggest, when the biggest, biggest comedian in the country is Jerry Seinfeld, white people aren't necessarily like, he speaks for our whiteness. You know what I mean? He's our, he's an icon for us. He, he's important. You know what I mean? They just go, yeah, he's funny. He's funny. <laughs> Finally, someone wearing Nikes and yeah. <laughs> tucking his Oxford shirt into his blue jeans with no belt. Exactly. Finally. Finally. We, so, you know, they, people just go, I like that guy. That guy's good. Or Larry the Cable guy. This guy, I like that guy. He's good. If they, if that's the person they like or, or Dane Cook. But like when you're the biggest comedian country and you're black, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'll know in about six months or so. I'm working on some stuff. But uh, you now know, that you've been on the sound of Young America, yeah, yeah, certainly yeah. you're on the rocket ship. I'm on the yes, as we know this. We talked about this, but uh, no, like there's. I think you're carrying some extra. I don't want to say burden because I don't want to call race a burden, but you certainly there is other responsibilities there that. I think, and that's probably true of if I would imagine it'd be the same if the biggest community in the country was gay, or if the biggest community in the country, you know, is uh, you know Chinese, or if, you know whatever. There's all these things that you that whiteness sort of becomes, I think, incorrectly the absence of ethnicity. I think white people you need to claim. I feel like white people need to find some white pride, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I mean that. Uh, just I can I interject with one request. Sure. I just don't want it to have anything to do with Irish step dancing. <laughs> I'm so that's done funny. with that. That's why you're like, if it's the Klan or neo Nazism, we'll talk about that. We'll work through that, but not Irish step dancing. Look, I'm down to endorse Lederhosen if if <laughs> that's what it takes. But not Irish. No, we can. We'll work. We'll, I was going to say we'll work on that, but that's not really my thing to <laughs> yeah. work on. Uh, but you're, no, all, you're already busy with penny whistles. Exactly, exactly. I got, got a lot on my plate right now. Six months from now, you know. Uh, and it's that thing too. I mean, it's the same thing you see in like the NBA, or you know, once that guy, once you know, you can't just be the best basketball player in your neighborhood. You have to take everybody with you, and if you don't, then you're not good. And you don't see that from the best uh, necessarily from the best quarterback. You know, like Peyton Manning doesn't seem to have a huge posse. You know, uh, but no. So I think it's just a it's a different. You know, what I'm saying. Being black is different. No, it's and it's true of every uh, obvious ethnic, as I call us. You know, it's that you have to that whether you want to or not, you have to somehow come to reckon with the fact that you have this thing. You know, and how will you deal with it? And I think that's why some black comedians do the "I'm just one of the good ones" thing because it's sort of it's sort of it's sort of to lift some of that off of you. And I think some very funny comedians I would put in that camp. But you know, and then the Def Jam comics totally claim it in that like sort of aggressive way. You know, I dare you to tell me not to claim it. And I and I feel like I I feel like it's better if somebody else describes what I'm doing. But I feel like I'm somewhere like I want to claim it, but I'm not trying to claim it in the way you. you know, I feel like people are comfortable with the Def Jam way of claiming it, and that's not natural to me. I didn't grow up in the hood, you know. I don't listen to a lot of hip hop, so I'm not going to claim it that way. I'm going to claim it the way of a kid who grew up in a condo in Chicago and listened to a lot of Living Color and Fishbone. <laughs> that's, that's the way I choose to claim it. Well, Kamal, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the San Diego America. It was great to have you here. W. Kamau Bell's new CD is called Face Full of Flower. You can find it and more information about him and his upcoming shows online at wkamaubell.com. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I've been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our editor is Nick White, our intern, Julia Smith. Our music is provided to us by Dan Wally. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, and you can email me at jesse at MaximumFun.org. All of our shows are downloadable absolutely 1,000% for free in iTunes. Just search for The Sound of Young America or my name. You can also find them on our website at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I am at Twitter.com slash YoungAmerican. Just be aware that uh, it's kind of vulgar. I guess that's about all we need to say. We'll see you next time right here on The Sound of Young America. 
production of The Sound of Young America is underwritten in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com.